champion, Eve. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Quick Brews. It's lovely to have you with us today. Um, We are, if you haven't joined us before, we're a podcast that likes to talk about taboo topics. Um, It's not just taboo in the sort of mainstream sense. It's things that people maybe shy away from talking about things that are difficult to talk about things that people just don't embrace so we try to educate ourselves and others by doing these episodes now i'm katie i'm vicky and together we make up the strong tea team now a strong tea is uh, the longer version of this podcast and quick brews is the shorter episodes well, we like to say shorter but they're not yeah, really not that short we do a lot of waffling so they <laughs> tend to be the same length but they are without a guest so strong teas invites people on to talk about their journeys um and different experiences and quick brews is vicky and i talking and chewing the fat spilling mm-hmm. the tea mm-hmm. um all about different topics and today is no exception and we'll let vicky talk about the topic very shortly but this is the final episode in our pride series now i know it's the very start of july but <laughs> but stick with me um there are still uh, pride events going on all around the country so this is our final one in the pride series and if you've listened to the other ones which we hope you have you'll have seen all manner of wonderful guests that we've had on and there are more to come in the future actually mm-hmm. so without further ado i'm going to hand over to vicky who's going to introduce the topic and talk about other stuff <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm very sad that this is the last one in the Pride series because it's just been magic. It's been brilliant. Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, And it wouldn't have been complete without a quick brew just to kind of, you know, finish it off, close it off, be the finale, as it were. Absolutely. Um, So what we've decided to do was do a little bit of research and look at LGBTQ plus legends. So people that we've done some research about and want basically the world to know more about them yeah um some people you may have heard of which great that's fantastic hopefully there are some facts and a few bits of history in there that you didn't know and some people we can pretty much guarantee you haven't heard of um but either way we hope you enjoy our selection this is not (laughs) this is not a definitive list we had trouble trying to narrow it down yeah um I don't know about you Katie I had a headache trying to kind of choose who how you know I want to squeeze everyone in this is so many yeah yeah and they're they're all game changers all game changers all have either made a huge impact in LGBTQ plus history or making history yeah that these are complete legends and icons paving the way paving the way so without further ado what tea are you drinking well got a bit off piece today not entirely off piece but i am having a yorkshire tea but mm-hmm. it's a decaf yorkshire mm-hmm. tea do you know what really gets my goat though go on it's having a decaf tea and it doesn't matter how long you leave the tea bag in for which is a good five to eight minutes for me it's never it's never strong enough because there's no caffeine in it. Yes, I know, but it wouldn't <laughs> affect the taste. <laughs> but it does. No, yes, I, I, I know that, but it shouldn't. That's what I'm saying. It should taste the same, just be caffeine free. Otherwise, it's half the experience. Well, yeah, but for me, the experience is the caffeine. It's like coffee. Caffeine free coffee just is, it's, 
it, it's the experience and that part of the experience is taken away. Therefore, why would you drink coffee voluntarily without the kick? It's controversial. I know. Mm, yeah, no. I, and I, and I used to agree with you because I used to have many, many cups a day. Mm-hmm. But I've been trying to cut down my mm. intake. So I have one cup of caffeine a day and the rest is like caffeine free, whether that's herbal mm. or whatever. And I don't tend to drink decaf coffee because again, I don't see the point in it. Mm. But mm. decaf tea needs must man does it make you grouchy though <laughs> I, I don't, are you throwing shade at me <laughs> do, I, do i seem grouchy i'd be grouchy if you think i'm grouchy <laughs> but before we get into that what tea are you drinking i'm drinking a superior nice, tea selection i'm drinking a nice relaxing pucker nighttime. <laughs> and for those of you that are listening obviously in the future uh, but we are recording at half past two in the afternoon so you know but it's it's a dreamy bed of oat flour lavender and lime flour and it's delightful and does it taste all floral and nice it does but I don't know what an oat flour is and this is deja vu because we can be honest we have already <laughs> we recorded this section <laughs> dude I can't even tell you I this might be the sixth take we've done for this episode um and we were going really well on the last one and um you know we just said what what about what 30 minutes in yeah I messed up yeah you know not after my my four attempts to the intro in the first place so uh, we're giving away all our secrets now but it does give us a nice blooper reel ready for you know like a Christmas special oh it really does oh I like that behind the scenes (laughs) right shall I start with an utter legend you crack on yeah utter legend so this is a legend that is currently doing an incredible job on Instagram. If you haven't heard of them, check them out. Um, They have blown my mind so many times and they are so articulate. When I'm reading this, you'll think, gosh, she's reading from script. And I am because it's their words and they're just so articulate and just say things so much better than I do. Anyway, Without further ado. Without further ado, Alok Vade Menon was born in 1991 in Texas. Oh, a baby. I remember. 1991. I remember 1991. I know. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they are a non-binary, gender non-conforming and trans-feminine performance artist, educator and writer. Now that's, now, A-Lock- a, that's a lot to take in, isn't it? Oh, do you know what? They do so much, so much and... I don't know where they get the time. If you look on their Instagram, yeah, they're all over the place and they're they're changing the world um, in amazing makeup and beautiful hills. Um, so Alok uses the pronoun they and has received international attention for challenging the gender binary through fashion and poetry. So Alok grew up as the child of immigrant parents from Malaysia and India. And growing up, they were bullied for their race and gender expression. Um, They felt that they were unable to come out on their own terms because as a visibly gender non-conforming person, they didn't know they were different until they were punished for it and told who they were, as people do when they're scared, they don't understand. And we as perhaps a Western culture more than anything are very much kind of like binary. Mm -hmm. Um, So they... um, They developed um, their art practice at quite a young age, and it was in response to this harassment. And they began to use poetry and style to challenge other people's assumptions and 
to declare themselves on their own terms. So because they weren't able to express themselves visually uh, for fear of their, their own safety, they began to share their art online and just received an outpour of supportive messages and responses. Now, through their groundbreaking brand of slam poetry, comedy and music, ALOC shares messages of their own experience of public abuse, torment and hope for the future. Um, ALOC's work has been described as activism, activism and visual art combined. And together they make a powerful statement about the risk of being gender non-conforming and the, and the people who are gender non-conforming, um, what they face across around the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. There are several things, uh, things that recur in ALOC's work. Um, so they unpack the dynamics of trans misogyny. Uh, the ref they reflect on the continued attack on trans and gender non-conforming people. And they try to shift the representation of TGNC people as well. Um, in 2017, ALOC released their inaugural book of poetry called Femme in Public, which is a meditation on harassment against trans feminine people. Um, they toured a show associated with the book across the world, partnering with local trans artists and organisations, um, all to advocate for trans justice. Um, and in Vice, they write, the majority of people still believe that trans is what we look like and not who we are. We're reduced to the spectacle of our appearance. So ALOC advocates for um, trans feminine people to be regarded in their full personhood. So they say there is a long history of trans femme bodies being reduced to metaphor, to symbol, and seen as stand-ins for ideas, fantasies, and nightmares. And they draw attention to the fact that even though gender non-conforming people are the most visible in public, they remain the most neglected on the, by the mainstream LGBT movement. And I found that quite interesting as well. Mm. So ALOC has also written a book of reasons why people should view gender as more than just the traditional black and white. And in Beyond the Gender Binary, they state the gender binary is cultural belief that there are only two distinct and opposite genders, man and woman. This belief is upheld by a system of power that exists to create conflict and division, not to celebrate creativity and diversity. Pretty powerful, huh? Mm, it kind of says it all in one sentence. Exactly. Do you see what I mean? So articulate. So they focus and point out the many flaws that are consistently in these thoughts of, of, of people around the world. And their main goal is to transform and challenge a person to see beyond the man and female genders. Um, so Alok is also a fashion designer. He's designed, uh, they've designed three gender neutral fashion collections, which are known for their joyful color and celebration of skirts and dresses as gender neutral. And they're also a model for runway and for magazines like Vogue. I can't sum up ALOC because they're, they're just so incredible and their work covers some hugely inspiring areas. But one of my favorite quotes is, when non-binary and gender non-conforming people critique gender binarism, it's not just because we have selfish interests or some angry minority of people. It's because we're trying to create a world that is more just and inclusive for everyone. Wow. Check them out. Well, you you actually brought this person to uh, the forefront of my mind. I think as well when we were talking to Dylan, mm. the mm. conversation came up, and uh, I thought we'll have to search this person on um, on Instagram. 
and they are truly beautiful. Mm. Like the yeah. visual representations that they put out there and the mm. style and the incredible fusion, I guess, of yeah. the of the I, I guess the binary genders. Um, you know, you've got masculine and feminine put together. And it's about expressing that in a way that's not seen as weird. It's seen as beautiful. And it's mm. it's quite striking, isn't it? Yeah, it's I think that their whole ethos is trying to kind of get rid of this perception of binary and just kind of you are you. And they have some beautiful poetry. And like I said, they are just so articulate and they kind of describe their their identification with fashion in that you know it becomes a part of them mm-hmm. this is who they are not their binary not you know if, if they're male or female or whatever they are a person it's quite existential it's um yeah, yeah. and it's difficult to to say but yeah completely look a look up but in this in the simplest terms you know in terms of what we've discussed with you know, people throughout this Pride series, you know, um, when we talked to Ada, we've talked to Dylan, Mm. we've talked to Suzanne, you know, and, you know, there's been different um, opinions on labelling and different things like that. And you think, actually, we're in 2022. Why are people so hung up Mm. on labels, whether that be sexuality, whether that be gender? And I think it's because those people who... I'm not going to say are ignorant, ignorant, but people that maybe don't necessarily understand feel the need to put a stamp on them. But like you've just said, you are you. Mm. You know, why should it matter whether, you know, one day you go out dressed as a guy versus mm. one day you go out dressed as a girl? Mm. You know, yeah. it, it, why should you have to be put into a box for that? Mm. It's yeah, it just doesn't seem. But you know, like we talked about on the last take, which I think is worth mentioning again, you know, we live in a society where we're getting better, mm-hmm. but we've still got so so far to go, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah, we are, in terms of policies and laws, there's been a few hiccups, there's been a few step backs even, um, you know, we only need to look at the conversion therapy um, policy and the law and everything that, you know, for crying out loud, we're 2022. Why are we still having this discussion? Mm. Um, and in some countries in the world, it's still illegal to be LGBTQ plus. Yeah. Um, and you are risking your life if you are holding hands with someone of, of you know, the same same sex down the street. So. I think the pride marches and pride in itself is still such an important message mm-hmm. in, you know, the, the way that its roots were upheld in protest and, you know, it's, it's to prove a point, it's to send a message. Whereas now it's kind of seen as a, a celebration, look, you know, celebrating LGBTQ+, but it's, it's still loaded with we, we've still got so much to fight for. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's why we do these episodes, isn't it? It's yeah. why it's important to educate people. It's mm-hmm. why we're trying to ask the questions that people need answering because maybe they're too afraid to ask it or they don't understand and they don't know where to go. And mm-hmm. you know, it's it's one tiny step in the right direction, isn't it? And that's yeah. what a lot of these legends are that we're talking about. They're yeah. people that paved the way for mm-hmm. now. 
definitely definitely so i'm gonna i'm gonna go on to my next person oh was actually it's actually two people it's a couple i've gone a little bit off piste here not not necessarily off piece. It's still very much LGBTQ, but um, so you might have heard of this couple. You might not. Um, there was a recent series on HBO called Gentleman Jack, and this is the story of Anne Lister and Anne Walker, and it was a huge, huge defining moment for lesbians and marriage equality in Britain because they exchanged vows in 1834. Wow! Imagine that imagine that wow now Lister and Lister was a wealthy English landowner famous for her world travels and openly queer lifestyle earning her the title of the first modern lesbian crikey I love that phrase crikey. <laughs> um, and her extensive diaries chronicling her romance and sexual relationships now she met the young heiress Anne Walker on various occasions in the 1820s and by 1832 they'd fallen in love. They took communion together on Easter Sunday at the Holy Trinity Church in Good Ramgate, York mm-hmm. and it's now marked, if you're ever in York, by an official blue plaque as the site of the first lesbian wedding to be held in Britain even though the marriage was not legally recognised at the time. So they got married on Easter Sunday? Yeah. Oh, fair play. I know. That's like going all out, isn't it? That's not yeah. just like, we're going to do the first lesbian wedding. We're going to do it on Easter Sunday. Gosh. I know. I mean, that's loaded, isn't it? That, I mean, that's just a small amount that I just stripped out to sort of try and, because I, I want these people to be snippets yeah. that people can then look into. But, you know, she was openly queer in like the early 1820s. Wow. You know, and you think, wow, that's at a time when everything was very straight laced and women Mm. must be women and women must act like this and men Mm. must act like that. And then she like ball out the park. She went and married a woman on Easter Sunday. (sighs) Don't care that they don't recognize it as a legal binding agreement. Can do it anyway. Wow. What a woman. I know. I know. What a pair of women. I'm going to have to look her up, I think, because I love the way you've done snippets and I've done full on, you know, this is your life for these people. Um, so, yeah, that's that's our differing style. But, yeah, I want more <laughs> is what I'm basically saying. Well, I, I don't have more right now, but oh. I can get you more. I know. I'm sorry, but you can watch Gentleman Jack on HBO. Yes, I have been told to to watch that. It's, it's really it's got Saran Jones. Jones. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. She wears a little, oh, a little one of those little wigs with the little curly bits on the side, oh. like off of a barrister type thing. Oh, nice and good plug there. Good plug there. That's good. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Do what I can. So I will follow that with Josephine Baker. Now, people may have heard of Josephine Baker. I had. Um, she is absolutely beautiful if you have ever you you probably recognize a photograph of her um she is beautiful she was a world-renowned performer she was a world war ii spy and activist and they're just a few titles to describe who josephine baker was an entertainer Um, and a spy oh honestly one's not enough (laughs) do you know what like i literally am going to scratch the surface of this incredible inspiring lady um she was born frida josephine mcdonald in 1906 Um, She grew up in Missouri. 
she was a street slow a treat a street child in the slums of St. Louis. Um, she used to sleep in cardboard shelters, she scavenged for food in rubbish bins, and she made a living as a, a street corner dancer. So at 13, she got a job as a waitress, um, and that's where she met Willie Wells, who she subsequently married at age 13. Um, yeah, whoa. However, the marriage didn't even last a year. Uh, but at the age of 15, uh, she ran off um, and began to perform with a street performance group. Um, and she also married again to so her second husband during this time. And this husband, she took his last name, dropped her first name, and that's how she became Josephine Baker. So she absolutely flourished as a dancer and she eventually moved to New York City and participated in the celebration of black life and art, which is now known as the Harlem Renaissance. Um, and a few years later, she took her success to Paris. And that's when she became one of the most sought after performers um, due to her distinct dancing style and her unique costumes. So her performance in the Revue and Vente de Folie in 1927 caused a sensation in the city. And it's because her costume consisted only a short, tiny skirt made of artificial fruit and a beaded necklace. Sounds amazing. Amazing. And that became an iconic image and a symbol both for the jazz age and the roaring 20s. Um, so although her audiences were mostly white, Baker's performances followed African themes and style. And she was multi-talented and she was known for her dancing and singing. And she, she was even in some sex, successful uh, major motion pictures. And she was the first black woman to star in a major motion picture, which was the 1927 silent film Siren of the Tropics. So she's she's just racking up these oh, accolades she, yeah. as she goes. Absolutely incredible. It, get, it gets better. Oh. In September 1939, when France declared war on Germany um, because they invaded Poland, um, Baker was recruited by the French military intelligence agency as an honourable correspondent. So she was working with the head of the French counterintelligence in, in Paris. And what she was doing was she was socialising with Germans at embassies, ministries, nightclubs, and charming them while secretly gathering all their information. Oh, proper. Wow. I know. So her <laughs> Café Society fame, I love that Café Society fame, um, it enabled her to rub, rub um, I almost said soldiers again, <laughs> rubbed shoulders. She probably... I don't know. I'm not going there. Might have read um, soldiers. <laughs> Who knew? She, she would hang out with um, <laughs> high-ranking Japanese officials to Italian and, and Vaishi uh, bureaucrats. And she'd report back on, on what she heard. Um, she attended parties and, you know, did all of this under radar and without raising any suspicion. She was so good at it. and I'm, I'm not surprised because she was wearing a skirt made of fruit. <laughs> Like, who's going to suspect her? <laughs> well, apparently she would use un, um, invisible ink on uh, little messages and she'd hide them in her bra Brilliant. at some of the parties. Um, but in 1941, she and her entourage went to the French col colonies in North Africa and just continued helping the resistance. So for all of this incredible heroic and brave work, um, she received two of France's highest military honours. But that was in 1961, because that was when the details of her espionage were finally revealed to the wow. world. Right. So in the background to that, after many years of performing in Paris, she returned to the US 
Um, and it was there that she was forced to confront segregation and discrimination that she hadn't experienced since she was a since she was a kid. And she often refused to perform to segregated audiences, which usually forced club owners to then integrate for their shows. Um, so her opposition against the segregation and discrimination was recognized by the National Association for the Advancements of Colored People at the time. Um, and in 1963, she was one of very few women allowed to speak at the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. And her speech detailed her life as a black woman and uh, in the United States and abroad. And she said, and this is quite powerful, you know, friends, that I do not lie to you when I tell you I have walked into the palaces of kings and queens and into the houses of presidents and much more. But I could not walk into a hotel in America and get a cup of coffee. And that made me mad. Wow. So throughout her career, she adopted 13 children from various countries and she called them her rainbow tribe. Um, and she took her children on the road in an effort to show that racial and cultural harmony could exist. Um, her last performances in 1975 to a standing ovation and sellout crowd. Um, but sadly, she passed away later that year. She was inducted into the Rainbow Honor of Walk in 2019, which is the Walk of Fame in San Francisco's Castro District, which notes LGBTQ plus people who have made significant contributions in their fields. Wow. Um, so yeah, absolutely iconic. And she was rumored to have famous lovers, Frida Kahlo and Clara Smith. Oh, Frida Kahlo mm. came up on my uh, on my radar mm. um, as, as an iconic bisexual woman. So that's interesting mm. that they crossed over there. That's yeah. I mean, what a woman! I know. And literally scratching the surface. Please, please, please check her out. She is incredible. Yeah. Wow. That's uh, that'd make a good film, you know. There is a. You're going to do this to me again, aren't you? There is a film. I don't know the title of it. <laughs> So when I was looking it up, I had a brief look at the bottom where it was, you know, information that's been sent out about her, things that have been made about her. And there was a made for TV movie. There was a kind of movie, I think, in 2017 that was made. But yeah, and there was also a Sky Arts documentary on her not too long ago as well. Okay. Um, but yeah, just absolutely legendary. She does sound it. She does sound it. I mean, like you just, it's almost like all these points that you're going through. And I was just like, well, that's, that's enough for one person's yeah. entire lifetime. The fact that she did that and she did that and she did that. And you just think, yeah. wow, how can yeah. one person be so iconic? I know, right? I know. That leads me on nicely to my next person Ooh. who there is a film about. If you haven't seen it, I suggest you should, even if you're not a big fan of LGBTQ sort of films or, you know, getting behind that side of the community or whatever. This is an amazing film and it's called Milk and it's got Sean Penn and James Franco in it. Now, that's reason enough to watch a film in any case, isn't it? <laughs> um, but this film um, details the life of Harvey Milk. <clears throat> Now, if you haven't heard of Harvey Milk, he was a native of Long Island in New York and he served in the U.S. Navy and he worked on Wall Street uh, for an investment firm. Now, both very, very masculine 
roles. Um, so he had to keep his homosexual life a secret at first. Now, he then decided to become involved in the Bohemian theatre scene in New York City, which allowed him to express himself a little bit more. Mm. Um, but then following off from that, he thought, no, I'm going to go whole hog. So he moved to San Francisco in the early 1970s, which was a place of love and free love and oh, yeah. just being yourself. And <laughs> like, I mean... All the stuff that I've seen on San Francisco in the early 70s, 80s just looks incredible, yeah. doesn't it? It's just yeah. like that kind of openness to anything. Um, and after he moved to San Francisco, he established himself as a leading political activist for the gay community. Now, that does, you talk about scratching the surface, that phrase in itself literally does just touch the tip of the iceberg because mm -hmm. this guy did so much for the gay community. He even won a seat on the city's board of supervisors and he emerged as one of the country's preeminent openly gay elected officials, which spearheaded an important anti-discrimination measure across the country. Mm. Now that's, that's iconic. Yeah. You know, in the 1970s, you think about the amount of discrimination that was around God. and he just fought away in the face of it. Now, sadly, Harvey Milk was murdered in 1978 actually by a former political rival but colleague as well called Dan White mm. um and it's it's actually a really tragic ending to the story um but you say end to the story but that wasn't the end because um in 2009 Harvey Milk's birthday which is May 22nd was formally recognized in California as Harvey Milk Day and he was posthumously honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom by Barack Obama oh, and his family are still doing wonderful things in it's his amazing. name to this day that's amazing it's just like these people paved the way didn't yeah. they and it is so tragic because if that's what he achieved in his short life to that point then what else could he have achieved mm. you know you just yeah exactly right you think well imagine where that could have gone yeah yeah but if you haven't seen the film get it watch it oh God. have you yeah. seen it do you know what i haven't <gasps> i haven't seen it we're writing up a list of things for you to do this afternoon i know right <laughs> well besides work <laughs> Yeah, no, don't do that. Watch watch LGBTQ films. <laughs> that sounds like a better afternoon to me. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's incredible. Yeah, I mean, I I knew a little bit about um, Harvey Milk, but I didn't. Yeah, I didn't know the tragic end that he had. That's really sad. Watch the film. Definitely watch the film. Yeah. Oh, crikey. Well, I'll I'll lead into a bit more of an uplifting legend i guess <laughs> this is a sad story oh, it's, it's, yeah. it's, <laughs> oh i wish it was uplifting um it, it's a bit sad but um his words are as powerful then as they are today and i've chosen james baldwin okay. now it sounds like a very ordinary name doesn't it and i don't think a lot of people may have heard about james baldwin but yeah incredible incredible fella um, he's one of the 20th century's greatest writers, um, and he was also a civil rights activist, but best known for his semi-autobiographical novels, essays and plays that centre on race, politics and, and sexuality. Um, he was born in Harlem in New York in 1924, 
and he was brought up by his mother and stepfather, David Baldwin, who was a um, Baptist preacher from New Orleans. Um, now, James Baldwin always referred to him as his father, um, but there was trauma there because the upbringing was incredibly strict. Um, he never knew who his biological father was. Um, he was the eldest of nine children, and he took that responsibility very seriously. He was, you know, not only the big brother, but he was his mother's right hand as well. Um, and he cared and protect, protected his three younger brothers and five sisters, um, which were governed in a really rigid ruled house by, by their father. Um, but despite the strained relationship, um, Baldwin followed in his stepfather's footsteps. Um, and in his early teens, he, he became a youth minister at the Pentecostal church in Harlem um, by, from the ages of 14 to 16. But after he graduated high school in 1942, um, he actually had to put his plans for college on hold because he needed to help support his family. And he, he took whatever work he could find, which included laying railroad tracks for the US Army in, in New Jersey. Um, now, during this time, Baldwin frequently encountered discrimination, being turned away from restaurants, bars, and other establishments because he was African-American. And after being fired from the New Jersey job, he sought other work to, to try and make ends meet. Um, but soon he moved to Greenwich Village, a New York City neighborhood, which was popular with artists and writers. And that's where he started to get his essays and short stories published. Um, now, he was very open about his homosexuality and relationships with both men and women. Um, yet he believed that the focus of rigid categories was just a way of limiting freedom and that human sexuality is more fluid and less binary than often expressed in the US. So you can see how James Baldwin and ALOC, even yeah. like there's a massive time difference, there's yeah. still that kind of thinking behind, as you were saying, that categorization and mm -hmm. labels, you know, getting rid of it all. Yeah. Um, so in 1948, at age 24, uh, Baldwin left the United States to live in Paris because um, he couldn't tolerate the racial or sexual discrimination that he faced daily. And many said that he left his country because of racism, but Harlem because of the homophobia. So okay. those were the two aspects of his identity that made him a frequent target for beatings by local youth and, and the police. Um, he later said in an interview that um, once I found myself on the other side of the ocean, I see where I came from very clearly. I'm the grandson of a slave and I'm a writer. I must deal with both. And that's what he did. So his first novel, novel was Go Tell It on the Mountain, which was published in 1953. And it was loosely autobiographical, um, focusing on the life of a young man growing up in Harlem, grappling with father issues and, and religion. Um, he then published his next novel in 54 called Giovanni's Be uh, Room. Uh, the work told the story of an American living in Paris and broke new ground for its complex depiction of homosexuality, uh, which was then a really taboo subject. Um, he would then use his work to explore interracial relationships, which was another controversial topic for the times um, in his 1962 novel, Another Country. Um, he took part in civil rights movements. He became close friends with Martin Luther King Jr., Malcolm X, May Angelou, Nina Simone, um, Lorraine Hansberry. And the deaths of a few of those friends um, sadly caused him to have a massive emotional breakdown and in need of recuperation. I thought you said this um, was a happy story. Yeah, no, it's not. Um, 
<laughs> set me up for a lot. Right. Oh, but after after some time, he went back to writing. Um, where the, he he explored um, the love between men in his novel called Just Above My Head. Um, now he died in 1987 at his home in France, and he never wanted to be a spokesperson or a leader, but he saw his personal mission as bearing witness to the truth. Um, and he accomplished that mission um, because his legacy through literature is just astounding. Um, and author Michael Ondaatje um, uh, famously said, if Van Gogh was our 19th century artist saint, James Baldwin is our 20th century one. Wow. Yeah. He also had a massive influence in 2013 as well. There was an essay called Gay Will Never Be the New Black, what James Baldwin taught me about my white privilege um, by to Todd Clayton. And it, he said that it explained how Baldwin incomparably illuminated the experience of being both gay and black in America. Um, wow. And yeah, like his quotes are incredible. Um, so I'd love to share a couple of quotes. So they said, um, he said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it's faced. He said, um, children have never been very good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. And this is a big one. I imagine one of the reasons people cling to their hate so stubbornly is because they sense once hate is gone, they will be forced to deal with pain. Wow. Quite the wordsmith. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> if, if you ever see an interview with him, he's he's more often than not got a cigarette in his hand and he takes his time to contemplate and give really well articulated, you know, answers that are just, you just sit and you think, how? How did you come up with such an insightful, intelligent, incredible response to a question you weren't expecting? <laughs> I just I just find um, people like that absolutely iconic in yeah. terms of the fact that in the time that they grew up, um, you know, and being black in certain areas of America, like you say, having to deal with such racial discrimination, mm. you know, that's obviously not gone away now completely. Nope. But there was a time when it was so horrifically bad being gay on top of that and having to deal with things from two different angles mm. is just mind-blowing you think mm. and wow. I find it fascinating because both he and Josephine Baker both fled to France mm -hmm. and both noted that going back home was was dangerous yeah and James Baldwin has said you know America is my home and I love it there but I don't feel safe there yeah yeah, it's um I mean when you're watching different depictions of it on, you know, whether it's TV, film, documentaries, things like that, you know, it's quite you know, you see how these people have grown up and you mm -hmm. think even just being gay or just being black is such a mm. huge amount to deal with in certain mm. parts of America and obviously in certain parts of Britain and different yeah. places around the world. But you know, the fact that he took himself off. Yeah. And, you know, just kept fighting and, you know, had that mm. incredible list of friends that you talked about, Martin yeah. Luther King. Oh, just, just friends with Malcolm X, you know, like, yeah. it's just normal. Yeah. It's, like, it's crazy. That's, yeah. I don't know how I'm going to follow that, but I'm going to try. 
make it happy. <laughs> Do you know what? This is happy. I really like this one. I really like this one. It's my final one. Um, I say it's my final final one. I did find some other wonderful people, but um, we we promised we said we'd keep it to three yeah. each. So this is someone who is still active today. And this is Sir Lady Java. Oh, have you heard of Sir Lady Java? I haven't. I feel I should have done. Well, you're going to want to read up after this. So Sir Lady Java, who's still active today, rose to fame in the 1960s as an entertainer and exotic dancer renowned for her perfect hourglass shape. Mm -hmm. Born in 1943, she transitioned at an early age with support of her mother, and began dancing and singing in local nightclubs. Now, I find that fabulous that in 1943, she was born as a boy, not in 1943, but she transitioned at that point in her life and her mother supported her. Yeah. I love that. That's huge. In her 20s, she moved to Los Angeles and became associated with stars like Red Fox, Sammy Davis Jr. and Richard Pryor. Mm -hmm. Gosh. She was performing at Red Fox's famous nightclub, and it's rumoured that her and Sammy Davis Jr. were a couple for a while. Oh, wow. Yes, I know. Gosh. It gets better. So in 1967, the LAPD began shutting down Java's famous performances, citing a local law prohibiting impersonation by means of costume or dress a person of the opposite sex. So they were having none of it. No drag, no trans, no nothing. They were just shutting Shakespeare down. would be rolling in his grave, mm-hmm. just saying. Yeah, I know, right? Who are the LAPD to come along and just start mm-hmm. wagging their fingers? So in response to that, she picketed the club and she hired the American Civil Liberties Union to overturn the ruling. Mm. Now, it was overturned in 1969 after a separate dispute by another party, but she was instrumental in this change and she still remains active to this day. Oh, my gosh. I know. What a woman. I know. I'm just like, and I, like I love the fact that, I love the fact that her name is Sir Lady Java. Because yes. that in itself is brilliant. But she was an exotic dancer with a perfect hourglass shape. I just love that, that she was hobnobbing with the stars. Oh, just yeah. Kind of just throw away in there. Oh, yeah, just, you know. Was oh, Sammy I... Davis Jr. one of the Rat Pack? Yeah. He was, wasn't he? Oh, I mean, yeah. that's how you knew you made it back then, right? If you were hobnobbing with the Rat Pack. Just hanging out with, like, Frank Sinatra. Yeah. Just living the dream. That's... Wow. I'm going to have to listen to the Rat Pack now this afternoon. You know that, awesome. you? <laughs> Um, I also wanted to just touch on someone else who I did find that you've mentioned a lot of um, literature Mm -hmm. people and I found um, a snippet about an author called Radcliffe Hall. Have you heard of this person? No. So Radcliffe Hall, um, she wrote a book in 1928 called A Well of Loneliness and it was, uh, she's a British British novelist and it was censored and banned due to its lesbian context which surmounted to and I quote she kissed her full on the lips as a lover (gasps) shocker and it was a campaign to ban the book which was led by the Sunday Express something's gonna change um, whose editor at the time wrote, in order to prevent the contamination and corruption of English fiction, it is the duty of the critic to make it impossible for any other novelist to repeat this outrage. Now, her book 
is now hailed is the well of loneliness is now hailed as a seminal work of lgbtq plus literature but she never lived to see the groundbreaking book so widely oh. read and appreciated oh that's so sad i know but still like it's incredible yeah again someone else who has her an, a keystone in a bridge and yeah. just made something extraordinary happen i know it's like it's like harvey milk isn't it it's these incredible things that people do when they're alive and they don't they don't get to see how people how people's lives have changed yeah years and years on yeah like and you look at um uh, Marsha P Johnson who we covered in our um international women's day yeah you know she was instrumental in stonewall mm. riots and you just yeah. think my god imagine if she could see it now just incredible isn't it it is. It is. Um, someone who is going to see it now, but we didn't want to feature them in this. They are a legend in their own right, but they are coming on the show in a couple of weeks time. I know <laughs> um, we didn't want to um, spoil their story. So we ha- we're not going to go into it into too much detail. Um, but the iconic Jonathan Blake um, is a British gay rights activist and his story is quite simply just yeah. breathtaking, isn't it? It's, it's jaw dropping. Yeah, yeah it, it is. It is. And we don't want to go into it because no. we want you to listen to it firsthand. So don't read up anything about it. No, now. no, leave it as a surprise. <laughs> yes. Yeah, wait for it. Yeah. And yeah, just cannot wait for that to happen. Cannot Amazing. wait. Amazing. So that's it for our Pride series. And yeah, I'm kind of sad it's come to an end because it's been such um, an awesome experience. And I mean that quite literally. It's been overwhelming at times with just who we've met, the stories. And yeah, it's just been incredible. Um, Please tell me we don't have to wait until next June to feature other amazing people. Oh, we don't. We don't. We don't. (laughs) We have plenty of strong teas coming our way with some incredible guests and some topics that will blow your mind um and don't blow forget my mind through. it will blow your mind katie oh, amazing, it will amazing. blow your mind it's so exciting and <laughs> um, we will continue doing our quick brews as well um so yeah thank you very much for joining us for this quick brew and for our pride series um thank you to my co-host as well and thank you to all the speakers for this month as well absolutely um, yeah fangirling hard over quite a few of them. in fact all of them because they've yes. all been just fantastic yeah um so thanks very much for joining us and we will see you on the next episode we certainly will speak to you soon bye bye